Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. This is Sandy and Sean. I'm Chandro Tar. Sandy Clough on my left. Happy Halloween. Thanks to all of you. Uh, I said left. You can verify that if you're on MileHighSports.com or at the uh, Free Mile High Sports app. That's easy enough. It is uh, Halloween. The... Uh, the costumes are out. Maybe the scariest one of the uh, the day going to Woody Page over on uh, ESPN. But uh, some some clever stuff out there. Uh, DeAndre Jordan uh, sort of combined Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift into one person as getting on the plane with the Nuggets. We'll get going and we'll talk more about them uh, as well. But, uh, I mean, well, you know, you just have your Cherry Hill sweatshirt on because why wouldn't you? I don't have one of those. They don't let me on that course. So, yeah. Oh, it doesn't mean I've been allowed to play there. You're not supposed to there. say that. You should just let me assume. You should just let me assume that you've already, you know, Almost you're, played. Yeah, you're out there all the time. Yeah, just let me let me go for it. But, uh, you know, everyone have, have uh, uh, so far, you know, the, the weekend and the kids out there having fun. So make sure you, you go slow today. Uh, the, the Nuggets getting all into the costumes, which is, of course, really funny. Uh, creative. There's a lot of creativity coming up there. But the... The, the note was last night after the Nuggets won, and we will get into more of them in a minute. Nikola Jokic was asked about it because everyone else, you know, really, guys guys get into it a lot. Uh, Russell Wilson with the Broncos dressed up as Coach Prime and had a, had a party and everything. Yeah, Nikola Jokic, in his normal um, blasé, I'm not interested in the things you normal human beings do for fun, uh, was asked last night after the game briefly, you know, but he was going to follow the whole thing, like, like, players do and get dressed up uh Jokic by the way just wore like basically like you Sandy wore like a Nuggets uh, hoodie and pants and got on the plane he was asked about it specifically and um he was concise you gonna dress up for Halloween no thank you thank you <laughs> and the press and we're done <laughs> so, <laughs> Jokic uh following through with that obviously a man after my own heart but uh, we'll we'll get to the Nuggets and we'll get to the Broncos who stood pat at the trade deadline today uh, as more or less expected. Obviously, uh, some surprise that Jerry Judy wasn't dealt. And we'll get into that. But we talked about this yesterday, and I think it's a we, we wanted to dig into it more. The Colorado Avalanche, uh, and let me preface this by saying I'm not exactly panicked. Okay, they're they're six and two. They look great as long as health is there. I'm not supremely concerned about it, but. They lost their last two games on the road to teams that I would say, quite frankly, they're better than in both cases. And they lost them both four to zero. The offense has kind of gone AWOL and Kale McCarr almost got seriously hurt by McCarr's own admission, a lack of hustle on his part, because uh, against the Sabres, he went into the corner as, as he described it. Now I'll give you his quote. Uh, I think a lot of it's on me going back slow, no effort. I don't know if it was my right leg. I think I tried to take a stride, and I don't know if I caught myself or what happened. The next thing I know is sliding under the end of the boards. Uh, Kyle Pozo came into there, and, and according to the Buffalo News, he said flat out, I wasn't trying to push him there. I knew he was tired. I was trying to close the gap, and once he went, I was honestly trying to go around him. Then he goes oh, it goes down, and it's like, oh, no, you never want to see that. Pozo did reach out. But by McCarr's own statement, the idea was if, 
If you had gone at the pace that Ocposo would have expected you to go, that collision wouldn't have happened as it did. And perhaps, you know, that the injury of which McCarr was even able to return to the game would not have occurred. But that was one part of it. And there is obviously concerns about the avalanche at times with uh, Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and Bo and Byram all at times over the last uh, season or so getting some run and, and getting guys run at them in ways that can be pretty dirty. I don't think this was one of those. I think it was kind of an unfortunate timing, and I agree it should have been penalized. I don't think it was something over the moon, but it's not. it wasn't that big a deal. But Nathan McKinnon had kind of had it, Sandy, and after the period, he let the officials know, and in no uncertain terms, that he was displeased with it, and he got himself an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Following the game... And a misconduct. And a misconduct. Following the game, Jared Bednar was asked about it, and Bednar, at least at the time, backed up his superstar. Uh, my thoughts on it would be, you know, like there's frustration out of our team because that wasn't called. It's obviously a key player for us, and you get a little frustrated and you have a few things to say. I just like the officials to have thicker skin in that spot. They know they may have missed one or decided not to call it, whatever it is. I think you got to take a little bit of um, harsh feedback in that situation without going out of 10. I mean, if it carries on and carries on, then that's a different story. Then that's my issue. And, and I agree that's debatable uh, as to whether they should have assessed the 10 minute. The, the two minute for unsportsmanlike conduct. Yes. It, it, that's fine. That's a that's, that's a that's fine. a no brainer. Even fine. McKinnon and knows. Even McKinnon knows that. Yeah. Um, the vehemence uh, can be debated. The the vehemence of the argument, I suppose, can be debated. Um, I don't disagree that officials in certain situations have to have thicker skin and think about the context of the game they're officiating, and Maybe it was gratuitous. That's the best word I can come up with to have assessed the 10 minute misconduct. But I am informed uh, to a great extent by the comments of Devon Taves following the game. And it's somewhat awkwardly phrased, but he gets the message across. I think we stood up and doing anything from it took penalties off it hurts the team even more than just Kale being hurt and missing some shifts. And, of course, after the game, Taves does know that the injury was not serious, that it was just a few shifts and not very many shifts at that, that he missed. He played almost 22 minutes in the game. So maybe with the advantage of hindsight looking back and knowing it was not a serious injury, he made his assessment. But still, the last sentence is very clear. The penalties hurt the team even more than McCarr being hurt and missing shifts. That's his position, and I agree with Taves. Uh, Ten minutes Maybe it was gratuitous in a game where you're behind. And after six periods of being scoreless, take the two minutes. That's okay. You've actually killed penalties off pretty well. McKinnon is not a penalty killer. The 10 minutes, any hope, any hope that you had of coming back is gone. Even if you're, you're more right than I am. Forget about coming back. Any chance of scoring is all but gone. Feels like it. And here's the thing. I get everything you're saying, and I don't really have anything that I could say logically to disagree with it. But at the same time, I guess I, I feel a little bit like Nathan McKinnon obviously felt. That it does feel that the the Avs skating, the Avs speed, the Avs star power, they are, uh, we, we've talked about the NHL top 100 players. We've talked about the top, the top 10, of which the Avs have three. I mean, the Avs are loaded. Top seven. Yeah, and as a result, there are teams that look at it and think, hey, we've got a 
if not cheap shot them, but we've got to really, really be physical with them and beat them up because we can't skate with them. And this is not new to the abs, but now you have McCarr with a, a bit of an injury history. You have Byron, Bo and Byron, of course, the concussion in history. Nathan McKinnon has not had an immense injury history, but we've seen more increased people taking runs at him. And I think McKinnon has had it knowing that, uh, especially in, in, you don't want any injury anywhere, but in McKinnon and McCarr's case, these guys are out for any serious amount of time. The Avalanche's chances to be the team that they know they can be dissipate. And as a result, I sort of understand where McKinnon is at, that he's like, I've had it, and I'm going to make it clear to somebody that we've got to start protecting our players better than we have protected our players. It's not okay to let guys just continue to plow into our stars. It is not, you're not seeing this happen for every player on the Avs roster. It just seems to happen an awful lot to Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, and Bowen Byram. You know, I wonder why it doesn't happen that often to somebody like Miko Rantanen or Logan O'Connor. Oh, because they'll come right at you. You don't, you know, Miko's not a fighter, but you don't want a part of a 6'4", 235-pound Miko Rantanen. Uh, Logan O'Connor will just punch you in the face. The, the, the frustration there on McKinnon, to my mind, is understandable. And I guess I look at it in a game in which you were just, you were flat, you weren't in it, even McCarr by his own admission, effort wasn't there that if there is a game to go ahead and send the message that the Avalanche are simply not going to take people taking liberties at their players, that's the time to do it. If not, then when? And so I get the the emotion behind McKinnon's actions. I get why Bednar, quite frankly, at least in the moment, backed him up. And, you know, I understand that. Bednar may have said what he said because of the emotion of the moment, maybe because it's just not worth hanging Nathan McKinnon out to dry. You know, we can discuss it later, whatever. But I have seen this as a pattern of late for the abs. But this was part when of you're the McKinnon. Pattern. This was well, part it of wasn't. Pattern. But in but in I get that in real time for if you're McKinnon, it looks like it. It felt like it. And even though this particular hit, I agree, was not. It's as good a time as any it, to bring it I, up. I think you go to the and mat. I think if Akposo had just been whistled. Didn't need anything huge. Just go to the box for, for two. Well, okay. I think that would have defused but I, I am also informed by the fact that they had no interest in going after Apazo in the third period. So if it was such an egregious offense, first of all, McCarr did come back to the uh, game. And I understand McKinnon at the time didn't know that. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't know the extent of the injury. Uh, I might have reacted in the same way. I'm just saying as the effective captain of the team now that Landeskog, who hasn't been stripped of his captainship, right. but we know he's not going to play. McKinnon is effectively the captain of the team. Yes. He's been around. I don't think anyone's going to dispute with that. With the avalanche. Right. So no, nobody's going to argue with that. He's got to be a little more considered in that kind of situation. Get a penalty. Yes. Get 10 minutes on top of the two minute penalty. Can't do it. Can't do it. And, you know, listen, he's he still, he still got plenty of ice time. He didn't quite hit 20 minutes, but he wasn't far away. Uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a capital crime, but I, I think it's, it's like a, a lot of situations in which, yes, uh, the Avalanche have been getting run uh, from opposing players for a while now, but I think as a captain, you have to, look at the situation and say, I'm willing to take two minutes for my teammate in, in a game like this, in this context, but 10 minutes on top of it, I, I, I make my point and, and get out. And uh, we don't know exactly how long it went. We don't know exactly what was said. Uh, I, I just think in that situation that Taves had a good read on it. Now, McKinnon at the time didn't know about the extent of the injury. Taves, after the game, did know about the extent of the injury, and it wasn't much. And the point Taves is making is something happened that Taves believed deserved to be penalized. And what do the ads get out of it? Not only do right. they get a two-minute penalty, they lose their best player for most of the third period. Yeah, and whatever mo- what whatever they momentum they were trying to build is is eradicated, and Taves is not wrong in pointing that out. And I, you know what? And as you pointed out there, I think McKinnon is the de facto 
captain and for Taves to basically call him out and say, hey, man, you hurt the team. I know. I think that's healthy. That's that's the thing. I think that's hurts, I think that's healthy. It hurts the team. And I think it's OK more. for those guys to have that discussion. I think it's fine for Taves to basically step up and say, no, McKinnon hurt us there. I think that's fine. I don't and think McK- that's speaking and, and out of turn. Taves is an older player. He certainly has the McKinnon, authority to say and that. And he has the locker room authority uh, to say what he wants. Now, I, I thought it was well thought out what he said. And I you thought tell McKinnon it was acted out of emotion. Taves said, yes, I believe the Buffalo players should have been penalized. But I also look back on it and what do we get? Out of a uh, a hit that was at best borderline, what do we get? We get twelve minutes worth of penalties to our best player. That doesn't seem like something that, given the way we played the last two games, is something we could afford to do uh, at that point. It, it's it's a fine line, and you know I I'm not a great believer in frontier justice. I think there are instances where you have to do it. You, you have to fight. Uh, maybe even you have to risk taking more than a two-minute penalty. I just don't think this it's was highly the infrequent. situation. And I could argue that it's not. Uh, you, you can make the very good argument it wasn't the situation. But I think this is something worth monitoring for the avalanche because obviously they feel very strongly – at least McKinnon does, that we know he's not alone, that the Avalanche are, find themselves in these situations at an unreasonable percentage of the time. And you don't want to get the feeling that that action, that because those actions are being incentivized. And that's basically what it feels like. If you're the Avs, you're feeling like if you're not getting, if you're not penalizing these guys or at certain times you're not suspending guys, and, and, and I pose this case, absolutely that should not have been the case here. Maybe it just should have been too. But I get that you're feeling that by not nipping this in the bud, you're incentivizing teams to do it but you're and going deal to the with ramifications people. later. You're going to the wrong people, though. That's a fair point. You're going to the wrong people. The, go, the, go to the guy. Go to the guy. He the, was out there in the third period. And, you know. Well, I, and, I, and maybe McKinnon needs to take the argument or the Avs need to take the argument to officiating directly and not the guys on the ice that night, because well, what the Avs are worried okay. about and what McKinnon's worried I, about is a wider view. I, I, I'm not sure that would do. Uh, I doubt it would. Listen, I, I, again, I'm not a believer in frontier justice per se, but there are situations, and if it's egregious, go after the guy. That'll have a deterring effect uh, on those kinds of runs. Uh, complaining the officials won't do anything. Uh, this guy wasn't taking a at, at no, Picard. and I, I I looked at this the was the replay this is a race into the corner over and over happens a hundred times a game. Just wasn't, and I don't think the players in general felt that it was something that should have been penalized. Yes, an egregious hit, a cheap shot, far from it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this player has no reputation no, whatsoever not of running of. people, uh, of being anything. Uh, approaching a goon or an enforcer. This is a guy who's been in the league for a while. Uh, he felt terrible about the effect, but th- there was no intent at any point involved. In fact, the guy said, and I think with some credibility afterwards, that when he saw the effect, he felt awful. Yeah. He approached Makar after the game. Now, I understand he wouldn't have been able to do that if McCarr had still been in the dressing room Mm -hmm. being treated uh, or in the hospital somewhere. The argument is there's less reason to even come up to him because he obviously wasn't that badly hurt. He wasn't that badly hurt. And he still wanted to come up and say, hey, I didn't mean to do that. Right. And nobody on the avalanche, including McCarr, said, well, no, nothing like that happened. At least the guy could have done was apologize. There was none of that, even from Bednar. No. Bednar is talking to the officials. Yes. But he's doing it after the game. He's not doing it during the game. He's he's doing it after the game. And Bednar is a fairly sober observer. He is not uh, prone to crying wolf. Every time his player, uh, any player, gets touched, he's screaming about penalties and head hunting and the like. 
he's fairly judicious in what he chooses to complain about. To me, that, if anything's going to have impact, that is, rather than an emotional outburst and probably an overreaction from McKinnon. And I think the frustration of being shut out for two games in a row, heck, McKinnon is beside himself after any game, win or lose, in he, which he, he doesn't hot. feel he contributed yeah. anything. And this is two games where not only he hasn't contributed anything, nobody has contributed anything. So it it's not at the end, but it's after five of the six periods that were played over the course of that two-game stretch in which the Avalanche uh, were shut out twice. He won't be suspended. Had he not been given the 10-minute misconduct, they probably wouldn't have even scored, much less won the game. So it, in, in the end, it doesn't really make all that much difference. But I, I think McKinnon has to be uh, a little careful. Uh, hey, Landis guy can give it to officials, but he does it in a slightly more subtle way. Well, the Avs will have a chance to get back at it. They will be playing the Blues at home tomorrow. We'll find out if a backup goaltender, Ivan Prosvitovic, ends up getting a start. Hasn't yet. Your Gibbs been a net for all of those. And if the Avs can score a goal, well, scoring not really an issue for the Denver Nuggets, who have gone to 4-0 and in the season after beating the Jazz in a game that you could probably just describe as meh. Good enough for the Nuggets, though. We'll talk more about them next on Mile High Sports. If it's something weird and it don't look good, who you gonna call? Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I, I've said this for a few years now. I challenge myself never to take Nicola for granted, you know, his greatness every single night. Uh, I wasn't even aware that he had a triple-double, 27, 11, and 10. Um, it speaks to his greatness. It speaks to his consistency night in and night out, just playing the game at an extremely high level. And I think the one thing that you compare LeBron and Nikola is their ability, their IQ, and their ability to make everyone around them better. And that truly is a definition of greatness, in my opinion. Nuggets coach Michael Malone after the game last night. Nikola Jokic in 35 minutes, 27 points, 11 assists, 10 boards, a pair of blocks on 12 of 16 shooting in 35 minutes. That triple-double, when you're as good as Nikola Jokic, triple-doubles literally land in your lap. That's essentially yeah, this one happened. kind of did. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. I'd have to go back and rewatch uh, the end of the game. Uh, listen, triple-double's a triple-double, and he was he played a fantastic game. He yeah, triple-double or no. He, I mean, was he was plus 13. Yeah, he was terrific. So, Best player uh, on, the, listen, on, the, on the court as um, usual. He deserves to be up there, and he will soon surpass, although... Uh, LeBron is still active. He will surpass him uh, rather easily um, in a few weeks, I imagine. Um, LeBron's not doing triple doubles. No, anymore, uh, not, not really. at the frequency. LeBron, no, he's not um, playing enough to do that. As of today, Jason Kidd, LeBron James, and uh, Nikola Jokic right. with the I want to say something, though. You could say the same thing about Jason Kidd when he played. He was a pass first traditional point guard with some size who made other people better. And sacrificed his own offense. Now he wasn't a great scorer, uh, wasn't a wasn't a good shooter. good shooter. Could get to the basket, right. right, and get to the foul line a little bit. But 107 triple doubles for Jokic at this point in his career versus Kidd, who got it when he was older and well into his 30s. James, who got it uh, well into his 30s. It, it's it's fantastic. And in terms of making other uh, people better. Um, as it happened last night, uh, the Nugget starting five was not great. It was an unusually indifferent game 
or Murray. Indifferent is, for example. Well, Murray had indifferent. 14 indifferent. assists, which is. I, uh, I understand. But I get you, but somewhat he, passive. He also in that had several too. turnovers, yeah. and he was a minus player over 37 minutes. Um, Jokic, in every game, is the best nugget on the court. When he's the best nugget on the court, he's usually the best player on the court for either side. And while I I thought the bench was excellent last night and really made a contribution that uh, made a difference. I mean, you, you look at the Utah bench by comparison and you've got Olnick at minus eight and Sexton at minus 10. He was terrible. Uh, in the in the game last night over 17 minutes. Uh, Agbaji didn't score off Utah's bench. Every Nugget bench player who played significant minutes, and even Strother who didn't play significant minutes, every guy on the bench scored. Uh, and the, the turnovers, uh, listen, the Nuggets had 32 assists versus 12 turnovers. Utah, I think, might have played their best game of the year with 30 assists and 12 turnovers. And killed the Nuggets on the boards, fifty-one to forty-three, seventeen to seven on Walker the offensive Walker Kessler glass. was really good. They didn't. But, they didn't really have an answer but, for his sort of slips. No, they didn't. And uh, I, I suppose, from Utah's standpoint, they look at uh, Kessler, uh, who wasn't anywhere near a triple double, but did have twenty-two points, and 13, and thirteen rebounds. You'll take that. He said he does better. You know, if you're putting numbers up against Jokic's numbers, he out rebounded Jokic. And he came within five points of matching uh, Jokic's point total. Uh, Utah played a credible game, and the Nuggets won fairly handily. Uh, the stat on the Nuggets that is astounding to me, not only are they 4-0, they've been behind for four and a half minutes in those four games. That's it. They were behind for 16 seconds last night when Utah led 3-2 early in the game. The Nuggets quickly erased that deficit. For 47 minutes and 44 seconds, the Nuggets had the lead. For 16 seconds, the Jazz had the lead. And the other three games have been very similar to the one last night. Uh, a couple of games have been single-digit games, but never games in which the Nuggets were in any danger of losing. And the 4-0 start matches 1976, and this is, again, for the people who somehow believe, and most of them don't live around here, but during the finals last year, somehow believed that because the Nuggets had never been in the NBA finals before, that they had really never been all that good before. The Nuggets were in the ABA championship series Mm -hmm. in 1976. They, along with the Nets, the eventual winners of that series were clearly in the minds of any sober, reasonably objective basketball observer, better than the Boston Celtics or the Phoenix Suns who played for the NBA title. Heck, the Phoenix Suns that year didn't even win half their games. They kind of fluked their way into uh, the championship series that year, uh, the NBA finals, uh, because the great Rick Barry, who could be moody, uh, decided in a seventh game uh, of a playoff series that he was going to throw a bit of a snit and decided not to really play, and Phoenix beat Golden State. Golden State had by far the best team and should have repeated. In fact, Golden State had a better team than they had the year before when they won the championship. When, again, the ABA champion, Kentucky, was a better team than Golden State. They had more guys. They had Dana, so they had Artis Gilmore. They had Louis Dampier. They had a better team. And uh, to be honest, taking nothing it from is, Al Adels, who was a fine coach, QB was probably a better coach at that point. It's just than funny Adels. thinking Listen, about the idea of having, you know, for people thinking about it, two leagues in which you could make an argument in any given year, which one was the better one? Well, listen, the ABA only had six teams at the end. Right. I, I understand <laughs> the ABA was dying. What, what I'm saying is that the best teams in the ABA were better than the best teams yeah. in the NBA. And as if to prove that point, the Nuggets began the 76-77 season as an NBA member by going 8-0. and Proof that 
they were as good as any team in the NBA? 8-0 start? I would think so. And when they lost in the playoffs to Portland, Portland had a great team. The Nuggets had a better record during the season than Portland did. They had home court advantage. They didn't win the series, but they had home court advantage. They started 8-0 for Larry Brown. They came back two years later. They started 4-0. Larry was still the coach, although he would, uh, for reasons that uh, are part of Denver's sports lore that we don't need to get into here, uh, Larry uh, got resigned later on (laughs) that season, and it began the sort of saga of Larry Brown never staying around in one place for very long. Uh, 1985, they started 6-0 and for Doug Moe. Uh, that was the year after they had made the Western Conference Finals. And they made the Western Conference Semifinals that year, but only won 47 games. 2009, 5-0. Uh, that was, again, the year after the Nuggets made the Western Conference Finals and actually had a better team and I think might well have won a championship in 2010 had not George Carl uh, been sidelined by cancer. Uh, They had a sensational team. George was the coach of the All-Star game. The Nuggets had the best record in the league at the All-Star break that year, at least the best record in the Western Conference. 2018, they started 4-0 and actually ended up winning more games than they won last year. In the championship season, that was the year that they finished second to Golden State, and they won 54 games for Michael Malone, and, of course, now this year with a 4-0 Start. So this is the sixth time they've started 4-0, and oh, and you talked yesterday about how rare it has been recently Hasn't even for been a three even and oh. world champions to start the next yeah, the year. Nuggets, the only 4-0 four four team and oh. in the league. I mean, or even 3-0. Uh, and, oh. and don't discount. Look, and I get it. The Jazz are 1-3, but don't really discount this because uh, Jordan Clarkson's 32. Uh, Olenek is 31. Olenek is off the bench. Nobody else on that team that plays significant minutes is older than 26, and that's Larry Markkinen. This Markkinen. Markkinen, by the way, uh, had it for him something of an off-shooting night. Still finished with 27 points, 14 14 rebounds. And a plus three. (laughs) Yes, he was a plus player in a game they lost by eight, and he played 38 minutes. He's tremendous. So in the 10 minutes he didn't play, they were a minus 11. And you now have a stretch four and a center in Kessler, who's, by the way, only 22. Yes. That are both seven feet he's, tall. He's terrific. These guys are both legit yes. seven footers. And, and Kessler is a legitimate NBA center. Markinen is a very long, small forward, in effect. Yeah. He's a stretch for, I mean, they got John Collins, who was John Collins last night. 15 points, nine rebounds. Uh, uh, Chaz can rebound the basketball. But again, we were talking about. But it's not, it's not a nobody, it's not a nobody no, team. I understand. I like that. where the Jazz I are going. I understand that. I, I don't think. I think they're going in the right direction, of course. Uh, They are the New York Giants of the NBA. They will fall back precipitously (laughs) from where they were last year. Uh, You know, you look at their uh, overall roster and, you know, again, they've got a ton of draft picks. They're doing the right thing. They're moving in the right direction. Kessler and Markinen are top-tier players. Collins is a good player. Um, We were talking about Contavious Caldwell-Pope yesterday. Um, if you want to know how good he is, look at the Clarksons and the Georges and even the Sextons who couldn't put the ball in the ocean last night. No, I mean, they, they, yeah, it's, it's remarkable how dominant Caldwell Pope has been to, to start the year defensively. It really, it's, it's been really impressive. I mean, Utah wins the game if Clarkson has a decent, not, not a great that doesn't night, shoot two for 10 night. Yeah. If he I mean, shoots, I, I think so. Or at least the Nuggets are pressed. Ten, six for 10. It's a it's a nip and tuck game coming down the stretch. So another uh, another good performance by the Christian Brown in 30 minutes. Notable. Uh, now Michael Porter is still rounding into form from that ankle injury. Only played 19 minutes last night, but Brown 30 minutes last night again, almost double double numbers, nine points, nine eight and boards, eight. Uh, yeah. closing the game a la Bruce Brown in the playoffs. So obviously things are going well there. Nikola Jokic with 107. Triple doubles, 138 yep. is next on the list. That is Magic Johnson, who, by the way, congrats, became uh, apparently only the fourth athlete in history to become an actual billionaire. So congrats to uh, Magic. That will probably not happen this year. Jokic led the league in double doubles last year by an immense amount. He was more than double Demonis Sabonis last year. I had 29, but he is now 31. 
behind Magic, barring um, something a little unusual. Uh, Jokic probably is not going to pass Magic this year, though it is not probably beyond the realm not. of possibility. Um, either way, uh, he's still number one among centers you know, all time. You know what I liked about the Nuggets last night? Uh, they not took, their free throw shooting. They took uh, well. Utah's free throw shooting was. Yeah, I don't. I don't bad. know what was going on. This there. was not a free throw shooting clinic last night, folks. Uh, the two teams combined were fourteen of thirty-two. The Nuggets seven of seventeen. Utah seven of fifteen. Ugh. Both well below fifty percent. Layers convention. Right? Uh, but the Nuggets were were badly outshot because they got killed on the offensive boards. Ninety-eight field goal attempts for Utah, 84 for the Nuggets, and the Nuggets ended up with five more field goals in the game. 47 for 84, they shot 56% from the field. Bad night at the line, mediocre 9 for 28 from three-point range, and they only grabbed seven offensive rebounds, largely because they didn't miss a whole lot of shots. Uh, Utah had 17 because Utah missed a ton of shots and shot below 43% on 42 of 98. Uh, Utah also terrible from three-point range, 11 for 37. You're better off not taking any threes than shooting below 30% from three-point land. And, of course, they didn't make any foul shots. But to, to argue, well, if we had made three or four more foul shots, the game would have been close. Yeah, and if the Nuggets had made six or seven more foul shots, it would have been a blowout. <laughs> so you can yeah. go back and forth. Um I had to chuckle this morning. Uh, I I don't know that the Clippers made this trade for James Harden. In the middle of the night? To get, well, forget what kind of day it is. With the idea that, oh, now we're set to challenge the Nuggets. I, do, I don't know that. But if there is that suspicion, we'll talk about it in a moment. Yeah. And how silly that suspicion well, would be. To me, the 76ers cleaned the Clippers' clock on this deal. And it wasn't it the 76ers who needed to get rid of the yes. player dealing from a position of weakness? Absolute weakness. I'm not going to say they Carmelo fleeced Carmelo Anthony him. level weakness. I'm not going to say they fleeced him because the players they got are mediocre players, but they got a ton of draft picks. Uh, James Harden, who was certainly more toxic than Russell Wilson, in every other way, is kind of the Russell Wilson of the NBA, a once great player who is now, to my way of thinking, I know he led the league in assists last year, but borderline, he's a liability. Well, and if they are under the illusion that this trade brings them closer to Denver, they're crazy. Well, they're under the illusion in part because the folks at ESPN believe it makes them the favorite to get to the finals. We'll talk more about that oh, trade and what it means oh, in the West oh, no. next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Turns out they did want that cowbell. James Harden and the 76ers finally part ways. He ends up uh, in the overnight, uh, you know, the uh, Woj special. <laughs> you get the 2, 2 a.m. trade, more or less, in which... Uh, the Sixers, who were highly motivated to send James Harden literally anywhere, send him to at least his preferred destination. That is usually how it ends up in the NBA, although I guess Damian Lillard didn't end up in Miami. Seems like a pretty good consolation prize to be at an actually better team. But anyway, Harden goes to the Clippers, and here is the deal. The Sixers send Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrusev to the Clippers for Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, K.J. Martin, a 2028 unprotected first pick, two second-round picks, a pick swap in 2029, and an additional first-round pick from the Thunder. Yeah. Who uh, have first-round picks yeah, coming out of their yeah, ears. Yeah, so and it ends up being a 
a, a, a pretty interesting spot. The Clippers, by the way, also sending a 2027 first round swap to Oklahoma City, meaning the Thunder can then move that 2026 right. first rounder to the Sixers. So the Sixers absolutely make a hilarious amount of, of, of headway in getting draft picks. Plus, by the way, the players they brought back, three of them are on expiring expiring, contract. So they will have as much as 65 million in salary cap space next year with Joel Embiid still under contract exactly. and multiple picks. And they had to trade hard. A great think, job by Daryl Morey. Think what you will about Daryl Morey and Harden uh, was calling him a liar. This is for out months. robbery. Everybody knew the Sixers had to make this trade with somebody at some point. They couldn't keep him around. Uh, I, I know he was on the bench the other night, didn't play, but he was on the bench. Just being on the bench uh, depresses everybody, I would imagine, around the Philadelphia camp. This is a steal. I, 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 I won't call it a fleecing, but it, it's such a smart deal. And again, think what you will about Daryl Morey. He's a hell of a general manager. And, uh, you know, I know he's big into the analytics, bigger than some people think he should be. And he and Harden were tied at the hip Harden had his best years. years in Houston with Maury's pace close and space friends. offense that they and worked on. I guess because Harden thought that Maury wasn't trying hard enough to trade him um, to the Clippers. Yeah, actually, now uh, that he got traded to the Clippers, is Harden going to take it all back that Maury wasn't a liar? He got traded exactly where I, he wanted uh, to go. I don't think that's... Yeah, I don't either. Uh, How about this? In character for Harden, if he has any character. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George. Interestingly, by the way, them and Kawhi Leonard, all four of them played high school in the L.A. metro area, right. high school ball. Right. But in Harden, Westbrook, and George, that's three of the t- six active players in points among the top that have never won a title. Of course, exactly. Kawhi Leonard... Did, leading the Toronto Raptors to their title. But we've seen this with Harden and Westbrook before. And there wasn't enough of a ball to go around between the two of them, even while Kevin Durant was starting to blossom. And now all these years later, you're going to try it again. Westbrook finally looked engaged again in the early parts of this season. And now you add Harden, presumably bumping Westbrook to the bench. I find myself rarely in agreement with Stephen A. Smith, but on ESPN today, he came out and made two points. One was, uh, why make this deal when Westbrook is going so well? You'll basically be cutting his minutes in half. Uh, He goes from a starter to someone coming off the bench, and that means a lot to Russell Westbrook to be a starter. Um, He and Harden have never particularly gotten along i don't know about their personal relationship but they've never gotten along as teammates and that's all that really matters and and the other thing is that you're basically giving philadelphia players and picks that you didn't necessarily need to give him, but Maury stuck with it. He couldn't have made this kind of deal right away with the Clippers, which is what Harden wanted. Right. He had to think of what was best for his franchise, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. All of And he decided games. over the weekend, and maybe the Clippers did too, said, this is the best time to make a trade. I'm not going to get any more than this. Yes, this is the time. At any point. And if I thought I could get more, I could wait until the deadline. We're playing perfectly well without Harden. Mm-hmm. Well, now they have all these other elements. They have, they have guys they added, to, by at the way, least the rest of expiring the contracts. What yes, do guys on expiring yes, contracts yes, want to do? Yes. Play well. They want yes, new contracts. Absolutely. Now, do I think Marcus Morris is over the hill? Yes. Robert Covington? Yes. They play. Nick Batum is a nice player coming off the bench. He's He's okay. Uh, but their value comes in that their contracts are expiring. Uh, K.J. Martin, I, I I really don't know about, but look at all these picks they get. I mean, it's... it's And salary cap relief. Three Immense salary cap relief on top of that. seconds, and salary cap relief, uh, they can go fine. I mean, if I'm Joel Embiid, I'm thinking, okay, we did... Very well, and I wasn't really all that thrilled about playing with Harden anyway. Uh, Harden couldn't even get along with Doc Rivers. Now, it, again, 
think what you will about Doc Rivers as a coach, but player relations, definitely his forte. I mean, he got, when he was with Boston, he got three pretty big egos in Garnett, Pierce, and oh, yeah. Allen to coexist. Yeah. He's been great at that. He That's his strength as a coach. Well, good luck. And for- if Harden couldn't get along with him, um, I wish Tyron Lue the yeah. best. But any notion, and you'll get into this very notion in a second, but any notion that this makes the Clippers a regular season favorite, uh, likely to win the Western Conference, uh, a playoff threat of any kind is ludicrous because even Harden at his best always chokes in the playoffs and always choked before. And he's 34 now. Right. That's 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 the thing. You're talking about a team that is old. Westbrook's 34. Harden's 34. And these guys aren't, aren't they don't have a, a small amount of minutes. They got tread on the they don't have much tread left yes. on the tires. Uh Paul George is 33 and injury prone. Kawhi Leonard is 32 and injury prone. This is the like the Suns bet, except worse. That we'll have all oh, of these guys worse. that they'll all be worse. able to somehow funk. By the way, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both ball dominant players. Yes. As is high Russell usage. Westbrook. High usage guy. As is James Harden, who is the most high usage right. guy in basketball and has been for basically a decade. So I don't know unless you're going to get to use more balls how that works. Oh, and by the way, if you'd like a little bit of friction on some of your young guys, what happens to Bones Highland? Who, by the way, he left disappears. the bench of a, on a championship right. team because he didn't get enough shots. Well, guess what? Now, where, where his minutes go? Yeah, I, where do I his agree. shots go? I, I had gone. the same thought. They're gone. The same How's that going to go with Bones? That. I, I said this is not going to sit well. You talk about a guy's getting uh, cut uh, when it comes his, to his playing minutes time. Vanished. His minutes of not just they're gone. Cut, they're gone. They're gone. Where do you play him? He, he's he's a guard. He's not even your third guard now. There, it's a, it's an immense issue. You know, it, it's the idea of grabbing all these stars and throwing them together. It's not how the league works anymore. ESPN Analytics, after this trade this morning, said that following the Harden trade, they looked at their odds to win the Western Conference and the title. They gave the Clippers now exceeding the Nuggets. They have the Clippers at twenty two percent, the Nuggets at nineteen, the Warriors at eighteen, and the Lakers way back at eight. Notice, it's interesting. The Suns aren't on that at all, even at less than eight. And the Suns are better. I think the Suns are almost all of those teams. I actually think the Suns save for Denver are the biggest. I think the Suns are more dangerous than the Lakers, Warriors, and Clippers. I do, uh, but they have the Clippers at the highest chance of winning the West and a twelve percent chance of winning the title, the highest out of all the Western things. The, the, the problem is, and Sandy, it's a couple of things. I went over, I went over this, and you know, I know we're going to step aside, but I, I, if you want to follow me on social media, it's Estrotar, S D R O T A R, because I've I've talked about this. I used to work back in the day at, at Stats Incorporated. And working on some of those advanced metrics, I did it for baseball, but I've done some for basketball too. Metrics always evolve after the sport, right? The sport evolves in real time. The metrics have to get enough data for it to make a difference. So as the Nuggets win the title, seemingly shocking the basketball world, unless apparently you coached or played NBA basketball, in which none of those people seemed all that surprised, the math is still catching up. Positionless basketball is, is increasing. Um, part of the problem with a lot of metrics is that they take the the averages of ball-centric players and presume that those will continue as if it all happened in a vacuum. Well, James Harden averages this. Just plug that into the Clippers. But it doesn't just get plugged in because you have to work with other people. And and some of these stats are empty. I talked about it like the wins for pitchers in baseball. Right. Tackles for linebacker in football. Right. They seem to be determinative stats. Yeah. But when you actually zoom out and look at the bigger picture, none of those things happen in a vacuum. A middle linebacker, an Alex Singleton, can pile up yes. a whole bunch of stacks, but, sack, or, um, tackles, but yeah. they're six yards down the field. Exactly. And the team was already ahead of the Broncos, so they're running. Mm-hmm. And so what did his 11 tackles are not the same as Micah Parsons' 11 tackles. <laughs> right. <laughs> and until you can find yeah. metrics that separate those yeah. things out, it's not yeah. valuable. I don't well, know. I'm with you. I don't know a single basketball observer. And I don't often agree with Stephen A. either. I don't know a single basketball observer who looks at that trade and would say, "Oh, wow, the Clippers are the team the, to beat." Uh, the Everyone Clipper, I've the talked Clippers to has been made like, a great deal. Everyone's nobody like, said that. Good luck. This no, should be interesting. Everyone's waiting for the personality 
conflicts. Listen, of which you know they exist already it, between Norton and Westbrook. Apart from that, uh, you know, again, Stephen A. Smith made, made two very good points, uh, I thought. But the, the, the second one, which I, I didn't mention, was that it doesn't matter if George and Leonard get hurt and don't play yeah, you, you're not winning the title. 60 games apiece uh, and aren't fully healthy for the playoffs, something you can never count on. Now, uh, Leonard is reliable when he's healthy, but he's unreliable because of his health and because of all the games he's missed. And George misses a lot of games, too. It's still with the Clippers. It doesn't change anything. The Clippers will not go anywhere unless George and Leonard are both healthy. And, oh, by the way, do analytics, and I'm not anti-analytics. No, we use a lot here. Does anybody know that starting with their three-game comeback in the bubble against the Clippers, in which they were down three games to one and won the series by winning the last three games, including those games, the Nuggets are 12-2 and two in the last 14 games against the Clippers. Many of them played with George and or Leonard sideline. The Nuggets have won the last five by double digits. The Nuggets will continue to dominate the Clippers head-to-head, with or without James Harden. Uh, they will dominate. And Harden doesn't matter, even Harden at his best, if Leonard and George can't play. And all credit to Daryl Morey, I think this puts Philadelphia with Maxi and Embiid. Maxi's averaging over 30 a game sure. so far. There's nothing in his That mind. puts them up there with Milwaukee and Boston. I think they're number the three. East. Clear number three. And they've taken a big load off their mind as well as added reinforcements and, and reinforcements that are incentivized to play well. Great move by Philly. The Clippers, pff, best of luck. Hope it works out for you. I'm looking forward to the first time they played the Nuggets. The Nuggets will be uh, back at it, by the way, tomorrow against the Timberwolves, and we'll talk to Brian Blackburn, our uh, lead reporter for My Life Sports, there about the Nuggets tomorrow. Joining us next, however, with the Broncos standing pat on the bye week, our friend from Fox 31, Aaron Anderson, sports anchor over there and host of Colorado Sports Night, will join us to take a look at what the Broncos, by not doing anything, are actually doing. We'll discuss it next on My Life Sports. Oh, oh, oh. Glitter on the wall.